This is the Medical Republic podcast. I'm Francine Crimmins. And as you know, it's election season for many medical organisations at the moment, and the RACGP is another one of them. So in some of the episodes coming up, I'm catching up with the candidates who are vying to be the next RACGP college president. This episode, I'm joined by Victorian GP and potential future president of the college, Dr. Chris Irwin. Welcome to the show. Hey, Francine. Thanks for joining me. Do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, Chris? Yeah, yeah no, no, absolutely. So I'm first and foremost, I'm a, a passionate GP that uh, cares about my colleagues and, and cares about uh, my patients. I uh, have been a GP now in Melbourne for six or so years, uh, and I have started uh, two successful medical practices in which I'm fortunate enough to work with 13 or 14 uh, excellent doctors to just do what we do best, which is take care of people. And why are you running for president and what skills and experience do you think you would bring to the role of president? Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm running mainly because I feel a lot of members feel disenfranchised and the stakes of doing nothing are too high. I think the RACGP is at a crossroads with the CPD changes in which just for people that, that don't know what those are, that GPs will no longer be forced to essentially be members of the RACGP. And we need to have a value proposition for the RACGP that I don't think is there. So I'm concerned that if the RACGP does not change that we will lose the last hope we have for effective advocacy. And that's why I'm standing. In terms of the experience that I bring to the role, I'm a young GP. I, I believe I'm the youngest you know, by a significant margin. I come with a track record of political experience and advocacy. I've been involved in local politics, helping both state and federal MPs help their constituents. For example, when, when the state MP has a, uh, a issue regarding health, especially refugee health, these sorts of things, I'm the person that she sort of first contacts to try to help those individuals. I have a track record of getting things done. So one of my previous roles before general practice was a director of a state hospital health department. I was, I was the director of urgent care services in a hospital setting and quite possibly the youngest uh, director of a service in Victoria, I'd imagine. I would have been in my uh, mid-20s at the time. Uh, and I spent that role making that department the best it possibly could be, working with the hospital board on matters like raising millions of dollars for a hospital upgrade and building relationships, because I think that's one of the most important aspects of good leadership is building relationships both within organizations, but between organizations, because that's how true change happens. And uh, one of my proudest achievements with, uh, 
working in the hospital setting was building those into hospital relationships and really strengthening, in my opinion, the uh, ability of many hospitals to actually um, um, uh, deliver deliver their their health care. After that, I've successfully built two private medical practices from scratch. And I think I have a track record, as I said, of achieving goals and with a passion and a vision, getting results for the people that I represent, which is what I want to do with the RACGP. You've spoken a little bit about how members see the RACGP at the moment, and you spoke a little bit earlier about the CPD home legislation and how that might affect people uh, remaining members of the college. Mm. What would you do to make the college more attractive to members? I think that's a very good question. And I think before we answer that, we also have to look at the main reason why members are members of the RACGP at the moment is because they have to for their CPD home. When we look at the annual reports of the RACGP, we have an organisation with a turnover of around $80 million and a surplus of around $10 million a year. And when we look at the financials inside those annual reports, we see that only around 2% of that total figure is spent on examinations and CPD. And I think members need a lot more than the RSCGP just collating their CPD to keep value for the organisation when it's no longer compulsory. My first and foremost, most important thing I think needs to be changed with the RSCGP is to create a GP lobby slash union group that supports our members and strongly and professionally advocates for general practice, both to government and the population. So that would be that would be my primary goal and how I think that we could make the RACGP worth its time for its members. I also think in that same vein that that having a, a, a union, you know, a, a source of a source of community, a source of being, a, a emotional center to who we are as GPs is a definitely valuable part of that idea as well. And do you see, you've mentioned a lot there about the need to gather and present a united front potentially to increase the lobbying power of the college in Canberra. Do you see political advocacy as the most important focus area that the RACGP needs to have going forward? I, I definitely think so. I think we're at a crossroads in which we clearly have an economic, social and health crisis. We have government that even before this crisis only saw general practice as an area in which they are only interested in either increasing their bureaucratic control over us or cutting costs. We have an organisation in which, unfortunately, every other health professional in a similar space 
is using professional advocacy, like the Pharmacy Guild, for example. And this is creating distortions in healthcare that harm patients, they harm GPs, and they harm Australians. We know, and there is ample evidence, that every dollar spent in general practice is the most effective use of that health dollar. There's ample evidence, for example, in the Oregon model, where for every dollar spent on general practice, there was at least $13 worth of savings through preventing unnecessary secondary and tertiary care in that setting. We know that when we have nursing-run urgent care centres, that the costs of these visits can be as much as 10 times the cost of a GP visit to the taxpayer. And we know that when GPs are excluded from primary care, the only effect of this is increasing costs, decreasing quality, and fragmenting the care of patients, taking us out of that position to assist patients in a holistic way with preventative health. So we, we are in, a, we're in a, a, a problem in which we have other groups professionally advocating for themselves and, change, and being successful in changing legislation and laws in a way that harms every other person in that, in that sector in terms of, as I said, harming patients, harming general practice, harming Australia. And this is why we need to pick, our, pick up our game and advocate on a professional level. And it's not even necessarily the extra funding. We don't actually necessarily need that extra funding. For example, the Pharmacy Guild has a turnover around $10 million a year. And as I said, the RACGP has around an $80 million uh, revenue. The, the RACGP in the last financial year states that they spent around $16 million on advocacy. So nearly 50% more than the Guild. But I would argue that money was spent far less effectively because we do not have professional lobbyists at the core of these spending decisions. Yeah, Chris, that distortion that you speak of it's quite well known that the GP sector has played second fiddle to pharmacists in Canberra forever mm. and still has very little power as you've just picked up. Mm. What would you do to actually shift that attitude of what seems like years of being treated as yeah. a second priority in the healthcare system, even compared to hospitals and specialists? I mean, GPs feel that very strongly. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely feel passionately about this, um, Francine. From the start... I'm I'm not sure if, if you're aware of this, but our elected officials of the RACGP have to sign non-disclosure agreements if they are to have any hope of sitting down and talking with government or the Minister of Health or elected bureaucrats or unelected bureaucrats, sorry. Is that it, on the government's side or the RACGP side? Uh, so my understanding is that's on the government side in terms of the uh, the government is suggesting to the RSCGP that if they want access, that they have to sign non-disclosure agreements. 
Now, what that does is it neuters our organization from the start. So we have our elected representatives unable to communicate effectively to the members and not able to tell us what's going on and creating a situation in which the our elected representatives may be doing their their damnness to advocate and uh, and tell the powers that be sort of what needs to be done, but they're unable to tell anyone what they're doing. And so one of the first things I would do is we need to change that. The pathologists don't sign non-disclosure agreements when they're talking to the relevant powers. The pharmacists sure as heck don't. We're creating a, a, a problem because GPs are nice, rational people. And GPs think when negotiating in good faith with a government that wants to make rational, evidence-based decisions for the greater good. And that's a fundamental flaw. This is what I feel the RACGP does not understand about how politics and politicians work, in that politicians, you know, go in, of course, sort of, you know, um, uh, you know wanting to do good, I'm, I'm sure. But, but there are many competing priorities. And a fundamental uh, problem with being a politician is you need to know who, uh, who you can piss off, essentially, and who you can't. And if you have an effective, if you have an effective lobby organization like the Pharmacy Guild, for example, politicians know that they can't just blindside the guild. They can't, they can't do things like, for example, with the recent ECG debacle, in which uh, allegedly the RSH had no idea uh, and uh, two weeks before two weeks before changes were done, it was simply announced and the RACGB finds out from the news as opposed to the government. The, the government would never act like that with the Guild because the government understands that there are consequences for behaviour with the Guild, whereas the consequences with the RACGP is the RACGP will put out a well-meaning essay on the future of health, for example. The government will cherry-pick cost-cutting measures from that. And because of things like this, the non-disclosure agreements, we never hear anything more. So it sounds like as a long-time member of the college, you'd really like to get in there and have the college grow some teeth. Well, yes, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about general practice and I'm passionate about our patients. And I don't, I, don't want, I don't want the college to have teeth. I don't, I don't want us to need effective advocacy but the consequences to our patients from not doing so are just far too great in my opinion. So I truly believe that, that we need to mature as an organisation. We need professional lobbyists and we, we need to get out of the tent. We've spent the past decade being in the tent, trying to reason with governments of both sides of uh, the political spectrum. And all we've had as a result is a 10-year Medicare freeze. We've been the only health professionals that have enforced bulk billing 
with telehealth. We've had these recent ECG debacle in which we're no longer considered competent enough to interpret ECGs. And these are just the icing on the cake of government that has absolutely no respect for the fundamental position general practice holds in healthcare and that for every dollar spent in general practice, there are 12 to $13 worth of dividends. So spending money on general practice is an investment. It's not a cost. And that's what I think we need to tell these politicians uh, with a combination of rational discourse with them, but also professional lobbying, both of politicians and the public, about how pivotal the role of general practice is. And the last question, Chris, is what is the main message for your campaign that you would like to tell Australian GPs? My main campaign message is protect Australians, protect patients and protect GPs. I firmly believe that we need a professional lobby organisation and we need a union for GPs to to advocate for patients and GPs. Dr Owen, thank you so much for your time today and for chatting to me on the program. Franzine, it was an absolute pleasure. I hope you have a lovely day. Mm-hmm.